The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York. I am Vince Rocco, your host, and I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world today. I have a guest here, Tim Crowley. He is head of new development for CORE. He's been here before. We'll talk to him in a few minutes, but first, let's get to some news items. StreetEasy, New York City's leading real estate marketplace, announced last week that its operating company, Zillow Group, has acquired Hamptons Real Estate Online, or HREO.com, as it's well known, a Hamptons-focused real estate portal that provides buyers and renters with a specialized search experience and access to the area's most comprehensive for sale for rent and vacant land listings. HREO.com is a unique complement to StreetEasy. The Hamptons, like New York City, is a unique real estate market and is one of the most popular second home and vacation rental destinations for New Yorkers. HREO's comprehensive listings across the Hamptons, the North Fork, and Shelter Island, all areas located along the east end of Long Island in New York, are bolstered by unique amenity, location, rental time periods, and house-style filters specific to the region. Buyers and renters can quickly filter to find listings that fit their exact criteria and connect to real estate professionals who can answer questions just like they can search for properties here in New York. A lot of stuff has happened in New York City in 2016. The luxury market faltered. 421.8 tax uh, uh, abatements have expired. Fifth Avenue became a battleground, and the city lost a few treasured institutions. But along the way, something good was quietly building up, too. Last year saw the largest addition and preservation of affordable housing in New York City in uh, the last 27 years. This according to the New York Times, who noted that 21,963 affordable apartments were added or The milestone is part of Mayor de Blasio's campaign promise to create and preserve 200,000 units of affordable housing over the next decade through his $41 billion Housing New York initiative. Since the plan went into action in 2014, 62,506 affordable apartments have been provided through the administration to lower-income New Yorkers. In 2016 alone, 6,844 apartments in newly constructed buildings were earmarked as affordable. We're barely two weeks into 2017, but there are already a plethora of market reports coming out saying it's more expensive to buy in Brooklyn. According to the Douglas Elliman report, the median sale price hit $750,000, or 15.4% higher than last year, and a new high for the borough. We've seen median sales set a new high four times in the last two years, says Jonathan Miller, who prepared the report for Elliman. Overall, he says there's lots going on in the Brooklyn market these days, including rising prices, falling inventory, and more sales in general. Miller found record price indicators across property types and regions. The median price for a condo is $895. $25,000, 23% higher than last year, 
while the median for a co-op is 385,000, 6.9% higher than a year ago. One to three family properties have a median of $830,000, 9.3% up from a year ago. It was also the fastest paced market with the number of sales jumping 22.3% to 2,582 while listing inventory fell 31% to 2,232 listings, a record low. Brooklyn Miller says is benefiting greatly from spillover caused by sky-high Manhattan prices. And finally, if you've ever dreamed of leaving the landlocked world behind and making a go of it on a houseboat, today could be your lucky day. A buyer recently spotted this listing for a 400-square-foot flow lodge or type of insulated houseboat that's intended to be used for all seasons for just $59,000, a relative bargain here in New York City, which is chump change compared to the cost of buying an actual apartment in New York City. Of course, an actual apartment doesn't come with all the challenges inherent in houseboat living like waterproofing no living super the possibility of capsizing and the like the boat itself is rather charming and with a wooden exterior that makes it look more uh, like a customized tiny home than a boat there's one bedroom one bathroom den and not too shabby kitchen and the interiors while not especially fancy have a sort of rustic appeal it also comes with a pretty sizable deck which would be perfect for lounging on while you listen to your favorite music this one is currently docked at marina 59 in in the rockaways which was once home to the hipster-friendly Botel. But should you want to dock the boat somewhere other than Queens, there are plenty of other marinas around the city. I actually got a chance to see the photos, and it really looks like a beautiful, tiny, rustic cabin in the country. You're floating on water. If that floats your boat, I don't know. I don't think I could do that. Anyway, we're going to talk to Tim Crowley today. He is Managing Director, official title is Managing Director of Innovation and Design with Core Real Estate, the company I work for here in New York. He oversees project management, research, and sales teams. From pre-development to sellout, his team provides developers with market expertise and strategic direction on design and sales to maximize investment of each project. In his role, he manages the incoming new development pipeline for CORE. Having worked at several top brokerages in New York City in residential development, Tim brings over 13 years of industry experience to CORE. He's attended the University of South Carolina, where he studied history and real estate finance. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome back. Glad to be here. I know it was a long weekend for for most of us, but the holiday yesterday, did you have fun? I did. It was very relaxing. Uh, spent time with uh, the family and uh, glad to be back in the city. And, and the weather the was pretty decent, too. It wasn't that bad. It was it, cold, but not so bad. It was not too bad at all. So let's get into it. Um, you know, new development inventory uh, in in the the research I just recently came uh, came upon uh, last week. New development inventory they say jumped thirty three point seven percent to one thousand forty seven units on the market. Yet resale inventory edged up only one point nine percent. So there's obviously a difference between new development inventory and resale, and the resale jumped to forty three forty six respectively from a year uh, ago quarter. Through October of 2015, permits were filed for 12,275 new residential units in New York City. It's a decline of 74% uh, in, in 16, excuse me, and that's a 74% decline from a year ago in 2015. So my question is, how are developers handling this change? You know, uh, permits are down, uh, but yet there are more units apparently coming to market. Inventory is up in new development, but down in resale. What? How do? What do we? What kind of sense? do we make of all of this and how is it affecting today's buyer mindset it really depends on the individual piece of real estate there you have to keep in mind that those numbers sound like relatively scary mm-hmm. right so 
but you have to keep in mind that it is a very, very large marketplace. So it really is uh, asset specific. So if I have a development um, that may be in a bull market location, right? So if I'm trying to redefine what the edges of the Upper East Side are, or I'm trying to redefine what the um, edges of Billionaire's Row are, uh, which is kind of how real estate development works, by mm-hmm. the way, right? Like, so it is a lateral, uh, lateral exercise. You're usually proximate to something great, or it's infill and something great. In which case it'll be very expensive. So I think that what developers are doing are looking at their business cases and deciding if um, they can compete, uh, at the, at, not necessarily at the top of the market, but at, at the first of the market. So what I mean by that is when what, what we're trying to do is we know that inventory is going to trade in all the individual sort of pricing tranches. So one to five million is going to sell uh, X apartments, five to 10 is going to sell X apartments. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're trying to work with developers on is making sure that their product is designed in such a way and priced in such a way that it's the first inventory out of the door within those individual tranches. So they aren't left in the position uh, being sort of one of this quotable stat where you've got a, a stagnant set of new development inventory that was either priced incorrectly or built incorrectly. So I think that's... <clears throat> Excuse me. I think people are. We just have to get a little bit better at what we do as uh, the development community. Where where are the pockets of of interest these days? I call it pockets of interest because, as as you mentioned, and as you know, we are seeing you know around the city, there are areas where there seems to be a higher concentration of newer development versus other areas. Is there any place in particular right now that is the hottest uh, for focusing on? I want to live there. I want to buy new development, and this is my choice. Yes, there is. I, I think it's the financial district, um, which is actually not even called the financial district anymore. Uh, it's really the new downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what's happening there, it's a um, <clears throat> it's a combination of factors, including uh, the, the ability to uh, buy really nice pieces of land or really nice existing buildings and either build a building or convert a Converting, building. Converting, yeah. The other things that are the big tailwinds in regards to the new downtown are an explosion in uh, restaurant and retail, the whole restaurant and retail infrastructure, which is a combination of things like Brookfield Place, a combination Mm -hmm. of things like Westfield, Mm -hmm. and then obviously what um, Howard Hughes is doing with the seaport. So what you're seeing is um, it's actually a return to real estate fundamentals because the transportation is so good and relatively speaking, the location is very good to the financial district, right? Like very easy. Transportation uh, is amazing. Yeah, it's both, uh, you know, we, oh, especially uptown, uh, we talk about the east side and the west side. The financial district really is where those those two things come together. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of transportation. There's a lot of access to public parks. There's a lot of access to uh, meaningful uh, high-end restaurants and retail and other vital services. Schools are being built, et cetera. So I think that is the the big area where people are making a lifestyle decision saying, look, I want, uh, I'm looking for convenience and I'm looking for quality of life and I'm looking for a little bit of value. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, neighborhood, the financial district, um, and I agree with you how it's changing. However, I remember in the days I used to work down on Wall Street, uh, you know, back in the 90s, and it was really predominantly financial district and then it started slowly converting buildings into condominiums and I always used to say who wants to live right in the middle of Wall Street right in the middle of the financial district you know it's boring there weren't any restaurants there weren't any movie theaters simple things simple conveniences didn't exist now all of a sudden you know over the past number of years it has and it's interesting to hear um, how you are explaining that it's only going to get better or there seems to be more interest in that neighborhood I believe 
it's a lot a lot has to do with the subway trains because you can literally get anywhere east or west or off the island from that location. It is the simple simply the easiest location ever. But let me ask you something. On the heels of on the heels of the financial district, what about the new Second Avenue subway line finally up and running? What is that going to do to areas like Yorkville, which were always so far east and so far north? Now that the subway line is actually up and running and running effectively, you see more new development type buildings going in that neighborhood. Certainly, but before we move on to that, I want to make one other really quick point regarding the financial district. You mentioned that when you lived down there previously, um, that it was bankers. Uh, it was a the sort of financial infrastructure of the of the city. Uh, one of the key things to keep in mind is that it's very hard to build residential cachet around being next door to Deutsche Bank. Um, <laughs> True. Now, there's been a tremendous changeover. A good uh, 70% of the recent lease signings over the course of the last two years, I'm talking about like really big lease signings, um, have been to uh, Tammy Tenets, which is tech, advertising, media, um, and IT. Uh, and what that means is that Effectively, instead of Deutsche Bank being your neighbor, uh, now Vogue is your neighbor. So I think that it lends um, a, a sophistication and a bit of cachet to a neighborhood that so desperately needed it. Now, to the question about the Second Avenue subway. Let, you mean to, you mean to let's hold that for a second. got to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. In my opinion, the referral business is the biggest compliment that a real estate broker can have. I had clients that I actually didn't even help them find their home, but they referred their sister to me, and they commented on my professionalism, my knowledge, and understanding of the market, and that something I did stuck with them. they become friends over the past 15 years and have referred more than 12 deals to me with friends and family. The fact that they think of me first and trust me with their family is really, really cool. I'm Steve Snyder with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back talking to Tim Crowley, who is head of new development sales uh, at Core Real Estate. So we were talking about the financial district and how that's continuing to evolve from a new development perspective and probably going to progress uh, further. And I interrupted you with the Second uh, Avenue subway, Upper East Side, and what that marketplace is going to look like in, say, the next five years. It's going to be a resurgence. There's no question. However, that having been said, uh, the... uh, 
the price escalation it has been speculated into a lot of the real estate along or affected by or made better by the Second Avenue subway. So I think that we'll continue to see expanded development and it will be perhaps the second biggest theme in Manhattan real estate development. And just I think your general real estate teams can tell you the same thing, that it will be a huge factor and huge discussion in the general real estate market as well. You know, it's interesting because, you know, the market was a little dormant at the, you know, second half of last year. My business was a little slow. It's starting to pick up, you know, election related, whatever. Buyers coming back to the table now saying, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm free to start looking around. And I've got two individual buyers who have come back to the table asking now to be for us to start looking on the Upper East Side. And so, of course, my first question was, why is that? Because they're either downtown people or, or midtown, you know, West people. And the, the, the subway, the Second Avenue subway and the opening of that has become such a great thing for Eastsiders that now people are willing to, who don't even live there, are willing to look there because it's it's convenient. You can get almost anywhere sure. from that queue line that's running on on the Second Avenue uh, line. It's, it, it's amazing. So I agree with you. And let's see what, what happens there. Moving on, a new proposal from the Obama administration may derail the real estate industry's EB-5 gravy train. EB-5 is a federal program that grants foreign investors green cards in exchange for a minimum investment of $500,000 in job-creating projects in the U.S., it's become one of the most popular and most controversial fundraising vehicles for New York developers. On Thursday, the administration proposed amending the EB-5 program to clamp down on reported abuses. If an act of this suggested uh, changes would likely have a cooling effect on developers' ability to leverage the program to fund projects in wealthy areas of Manhattan, as we just discussed, developers such as the related companies have been lobbying hard to keep the program exactly how it is since January 2015 related whose Hudson Yards project makes use of the program pumped up uh, pumped more than 1.4 million dollars on immigration related lobbying more than double spent by any other user of the EB-5 program. The Wall Street Journal reported earlier uh, this week the program is set to expire in April after several short-term extensions. What are your feelings on that? It's and how is it really going to affect things? It's a very complicated issue in the short term. Um, I think in the long term if EB-5 ends, then the developers will seek out EB-6 and EB-7. You, you know how it works. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, it, that is an equity part of uh, the real estate development capital stack, which is frankly not that complicated to fill. I think the, the thing that's complicating real estate development over the course of the next two years is the debt part of the, um, of the capital stack, which, which brings together a real estate development deal. And what I mean by that is that uh, over the course course of exiting the the first part of the cycle, which was exiting the financial crisis. In about 2013, 2014, you, you could get 75% leverage. So you could borrow 75% of the project's costs um, and then fill it with 25% equity. Um, what's happening now is a lot of these banks are pulling back to 55 and 60% leverage. So you need to uh, have a lot more equity to get it done. So EB-5 was really important in that climate uh, because it's cheap equity. Uh, it's uh, Preferred equity is very expensive. So if, if I'm going to partner with some of the large uh, real estate private equity firms like Carlisle uh, or um, uh, Blackstone, et cetera, et cetera, it, it is expensive equity. So it, it is going to be a short-term problem. But look, uh, capital or patient capital is always looking to find people who can promote their capital. And real estate developers have historically been very, very good at that. So I think in the short term, it, it's going to make projects more expensive 
have to capitalize and that's going to get passed on to the consumer in the long term they'll they'll just find another way and what's what's new with the 421a tax abatement scenario that's expired you know rumor coming back not where are we with that because that's that's big for buyers it's huge for buyers um but again that's another that's an uh, that's another project expense and it's another really complicated matter just so you know, and just so your listeners know, 421A um, is a, a tax incentive which basically creates, uh, when you build affordable housing, it creates negotiable certificates, uh, which effectively re- greatly reduce the amount of taxes. And you can build affordable housing in the Bronx, then apply the certificates to a $5,000 square foot condo um, in Hudson Yards, by example. Um, so I think that it's it's not coming back in its truest form. What's going to happen, we'll see more 421A as part of de Blasio's drive to create more affordable housing. But what's going to happen is that housing is going to have to be on site, meaning that the affordable is going to have to be in the building. Because I, I think from a political lens and from a public perspective, to build uh, crappy affordable housing um, in the you know far Bronx mm-hmm. and then uh, give the, the rich real estate buyer uh, in the West Village the benefit of that mm-hmm. is just doesn't look very good from an optics perspective. Yeah, and as Mayor de Blasio's program, as I mentioned earlier in the news items, uh, he he added 6,300 affordable housing units in new condo developments this year. So he's proud of sure. that, uh, racing against his goal of I think two hundred thousand dollars. It's a great it's a great thing. We really need uh, affordable and workforce housing to be a part of uh, some of the key areas in our city, as opposed to just having uh, wealth uh, in one district uh, and poverty in another. Correct. According to several market reports for new development, fourth quarter 2016, the market showed the following. One, in the luxury market, price indicators moved higher, largely from new development legacy contracts. Two, supply declined with sharp, with a sharp drop in aspirationally priced resale inventory. Mm-hmm. Three, there was a surge in negotiability as marketing time expanded as days on market and listing discounts continued to move higher. And four, number of sales fell from a year ago as supply as the supply rose, as we talked about earlier at the beginning of the program. So sure. your comments on this, Tim, as you know, very involved in new developments around town here uh, for a long time. What is this saying to you? It, to me, it just says that we're. It's just normal. I think we're getting into a market where uh, bad real estate's going to sit there, or, or poorly priced real estate's going to sit there, or That's what uh, I, yeah. or poorly designed, or built, mm-hmm. or dated, or whatever is going to sit there. Uh, there's just less urgency and less ambition on the buyer side of the marketplace. So for me, it just. I think we're returning to a normal market, uh, a meritocratic market, um, where good real estate sells well, bad real estate sits on the market, then gets price dropped until it sells. It, it's not. This is not complicated. These are not complicated issues. It's just the normal. It's not it, the new normal. It's the old normal. It's the old normal. And and so so the number of concessions, I guess, or what the, this report is calling discounts in new developments. So buyers are not as um, proactive these days, you know, as we as we know, either in resale or in new development. So. What inspires them sometimes, oftentimes, is when a developer is in agreement to give some kind of a concession, you know, sure. whether it's a transfer tax, a mansion tax relief, uh, you know, something. How how much has that changed, you know, in, in the changing of these markets today? I mean, do you see in, in developments more negotiation from the developer side? Absolutely, uh, we're seeing more. Uh, we're seeing more negotiation on the development side, and I think that the way that we are explaining it to our clients is that 
prior to where we were with this sort of old normal, so we'll call it a year ago, your stance as a developer would be the price is the price, either pay it or walk, right? But because there's less urgency in the marketplace, buyers are going to uh, fight for the best price, whether they believe in that price or they just say, they look at a listing price and say, I'm going to offer 5% off of every listing price in town and eventually I'll get a deal done. But for developers, what they have to remember is that they're not selling a 100-unit building or a 200-unit building. In the case of a 100-unit building, they're selling one unit 100 times. So each one of those individual buyers is going to have motivations, uh, economic motivations, uh, pride uh, motivations. So yeah, Real estate development is a part of the general real estate business in New York, and buyers, if they're going to negotiate on general real estate or resales, they're going to feel empowered to negotiate the same on new development. Specific With new development, it's not selling as fast as it used to, so uh, everybody's all ears. I spent years as sales director on-site selling buildings, new kind of de- uh, development buildings here in New York when I worked at Halstead. And, you know, it's interesting what I learned. You know, say, for example, you have a 100-unit a, a building, uh, and I would say to the developers all the time, you know, you have to sell each of those units a minimum of 17 times before one deal sticks. Sure. And 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 all of those 17 negotiations, so many different things go on. If the market is 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 great, there are no concessions. If the market starts to get a little wonky, then there's a couple of little bit of things here and there, maybe throw in a storage unit, maybe, you know, give them transfer taxes, etc. Uh, but interesting how you've got to sell each of those units 17 times, 18 times, whatever, before it sticks. So you're doing a lot of negotiation. You become a real good negotiator as a, as a sales agent. Um, and it's it's interesting to see at the end where it all lands. And I think I don't know any developer who does not make money in this town uh, in a building. But, of course, maybe they don't make as much as they originally want to. Which leads me to prices are up in new developments year over year, fourth quarter. So average sale price in 2016 was 4.925 million versus 3.28 million in 15. The average price per square foot was $2,800 and $2,200 in 2015. The number of sales closed 479 in uh, 2016 versus 552 in 2015. That surprised me, that number. Days on market, here we are, 181 versus 150 in 2015, and listing discount, as we just talked about, 6.9% in 2016 versus 2.9% in 2015. So, you know, that sort of sh- shows me that we're so- sort of online with the resale marketplace. You know, things are selling, but they're taking a little more time. Buyers are dragging their feet just a little bit, but um, number of sales closed, 479. That sounded kind of low to me. 479 apartments in new development in 2016. Unless my research was wrong, I was kind of shocked by that. That sounds, a little, that sounds a little light to me. I think yeah. it is light. Yeah, it, by, it, by maybe a couple of thousand apartments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm looking at that number and thinking, okay, the one I did agree on is the days on market, 181 versus 150. Yeah, I think that's probably the most uh, salient uh, and important piece of information in that in that in those statistics. Let's talk about. We have a couple minutes left. Let's talk about uh, one of Core's developments, 42 Crosby Street, an Anna Bell sell-off uh, luxury building that's uh, been on the market for a couple of months. How are we doing over there? It's a beautiful piece of property. We're doing great. Uh, it's a really wonderful building, and I would invite uh, the listeners in the real estate community to come check it out. It's it's vintage Annabelle Seldorf. She, she's a, a great space planner. 
Uh, it's a beautiful building. Uh, the location is obviously quite good. The location is awesome. We just added a, a, a new model as well um, in our three-bedroom south line. So it, it's exciting. Um, I think we're pretty close to 50% sold. Um, so the market's coming to us. Uh, the building's built. And that's it. It's another key thought in marketing real estate development is that the building did not get a lot of attention when it was slabs or a hole in the ground. But now that it's built, it uh, has TCO. Uh, you can go in, you can walk around, feel and touch. That magical TCO. It, it, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's people, amazing. people can come and see it. Um, and it's not that buyers don't have an imagination, but they want... They want to see the goods, especially mm-hmm. in real estate marketing. Every rendering is 100% perfect for every every project. So um, rendering versus reality, I think people want to come and uh, touch it. That's a good phrase, rendering versus reality. I, I stole it from Curb, I think. <laughs> I like it. All right, we have another couple of minutes left. Um, let's talk quickly about the Maclow property that uh, CORE was introduced to at 200 East 59th Street. I attended that presentation, and I thought the, the building is spectacular. The location yeah, really is great. The price point is good. Every unit has a balcony. Um, give us some 30 seconds on that one, if you don't mind. It's a really smart real estate development. I mean, Harry is, he has the golden touch. I mean, we're mm-hmm. working with him on One Wall Street, which we're very, very excited about. And this That's is just a, another example of him really understanding the marketplace. So with 432 Park, he knew that the location was seminal and he knew that the, the building height would afford uh, really uh, expansive views. So he went for it, went for went for broke um, and killed it. Uh, on this project, it's a similar design vein. It's a shorter building, but the price points are super approachable. I think every, I think the average unit price in the building is uh, right at $4 million. So if you want a, a beautiful 1,000 square foot one bedroom or 1,400, 1,500 square foot two, uh, every unit in the building has outdoor space and views. Uh, it, it's a special little building and it's very approachable. It, it, it's actually wonderful. All right, we're out of time. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Tim Crowley, who's head of, again, uh, New Developments at Core Real Estate, the company that I work for here in New York City. We are going to break. We have to uh, listen to some messages, but we will be right back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration, which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm here with the panel, Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Property and uh, Niall Lundgren from Compass. Good morning. Good morning, Vince. Good morning. Nice to see both of you. Happy birthday to you. Oh, yes. thank you. Wanted to say it on air. <laughs> thank you so much. No problem. 39 and holding. Uh, 39 and holding on, as my father used to say, on one leg. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not on both. Anyway, um, it's good to see you both. It's a quite intimate conversation here today, so we'll get a lot of good things going on. Let's get going. New York's housing market is expected to outperform the national average in 2017, according to a new forecast from Realtor.com. This is interesting. The real estate information site ranked New York number 23 out of America's uh, 100 largest metro areas in its forward-looking report on national home sales trends. Economists at Realtor.com are predicting that New York home prices and existing home sales will increase by solid margins next year, meaning this year, when taken together, these metrics signal a strong local market over the next 12 months. What are your thoughts on that? I happen to agree. I I think, and Louise mentioned it before we went on the air this morning, I think that this is going to be a strong year or I think stronger than most people predicted for a whole host of reasons. And we can maybe get into that now, but I think it's going to be better than it was in 2016. I think in general, if you if you look at where, where we're at in New York City, I mean, first, we're, we're on an island, we're in New York, you know, that in and of itself is uh, is always a good indicator that we're going to be in a strong market. Um, you know, it does seem like it's going to be slowing potentially on, on a national basis, but from what I'm seeing in my personal business, and, you know, there's the macro way to look at it, and then there's a micro way to look at it. You know, Luis could obviously speak to, you know, new two events about what you guys are seeing, but, you know, in the last, I'd probably say three weeks, so, you know, this, this year, um, the amount of business that has been coming to me has been, you know, incredible. Uh, I've been working you know, eight eight days a week. I guess is, is that is that possible mm-hmm. to say? Yeah. Uh, but you know that that's exactly Saturdays, Sundays, everything. You know, going on pitches and you know it's just been uh, it's been very strong. And I think there's you know now that the election is is over, you know everyone's kind of like, all right, this is this is where we're at. Not and there's not that crazy uncertainty anymore. You know, with the understanding that interest rates will rise. I think a lot of the buyers who have been on the sidelines are now coming back out. And that's forcing, you know, the the pricing to be, you know, uh, where it needs to be. So they're they're coming back out and they're not submitting offers that are at full ask. If it's overpriced, they're gonna they're gonna come in, and that makes the sellers a little bit lower, and that makes the sellers, you know, more realistic about where they're where they're going. And it's I think it's all right? about being realistic. Yeah, I think that. Uh, you know, the interest rates are definitely a game changer. My experience, I put four deals together last week and um, have contracts out and one has been signed. Um, and these range from $8 million to 800000 And I think what we're experiencing right now is that the people that have been sitting on the fence with the run in the stock market, I have had a lot of clients take advantage of liquidating those assets that they've been waiting to. And I think there's a sense of confidence, even though whether you are for or against Trump, we have to band together and you have to continue to live. And um, we have first-time buyers. You might see a handful of those individuals that are bumped out with this basis point increase. But that's more national, in my opinion, than it's going to be in New York. Sure. Um, the job opportunities that we have here, the the um, 
number of millennials that are self-employed and are so nimble in their ability to uh, seek and execute their forms of business is very different than my generation. And I think the baby boomers are going to also, their opportunities for us and myself, uh, of people that are empty nesters, wanting to do that dual execution of business, the buy and the sell, the downsize. Um, so I think we're going to see a, a nice run for the first six months for sure. Well, I also think, too, you said the run on the stock market. I signed a contract last week um, on a new development with uh, a pretty seasoned professional, um, very, very, very smart in, in how she does business in general. And, and I said, you know, what's the main reason for you wanting to buy? Uh, and she said, look, you know, buy low, sell high. I got in all my stocks years ago. I am literally at the top and I'm going to liquidate it and then put it into real estate. And, you know, she doesn't live in New York. She's like, but I want to put it in into New York City real estate because I know that's a safe bet. So the the idea that that, that mm-hmm. the stock market is, is right at the, the peak or, you know, whatever you want to call it, people feel richer. And when they feel richer, regardless of interest rates, they're going to want to get back out and there. And they've got confidence. Exactly. And it's all about the confidence. And, and they feel good. They, they're confident to do. And yes, um, I, I think in, in a lot of our businesses coming up the first half of this year and hopefully throughout the year, you're going to see that people liquidating some of their profits because the market had such a run up since November uh, that it's only going to make A not sustainable things. run right. um, in the real estate market. And that market for the stock market has been... Uh, an opportunity for people to reinvest those proceeds. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Along those lines, total employment in New York City rose about 70,400 jobs in the last 12 months, ending in October of 2015, a 1.6% increase here in New York City. Financial activities was the only sector to lose jobs over the past year, shedding 3,600 workers. While the rate of private sector growth, job growth has slowed in New York City, it still remains above the state and national rates. How do you think this is going to, so an increase in jobs here in New York City, you know, 1.6%, not so bad, 70,000 new jobs created all of last year. How does this translate into real estate deals in New York City in 2017? Let's just talk about some of the pipeline stuff that's happening. We have cities within the city being built. We have have Essex Crossing that's going to provide 1,000 jobs. You have Hudson Yards, the largest residential development project ever in our country. And that's going to be 20,000, 23,000 permanent jobs. Wow. That is huge. That's huge. Then you have, don't forget Roosevelt Island, and you have the entire Cornell University, the student housing that we have multiple um, pipelines of opportunities, and I think that we are—they're going to be our anchors to continue to have us grow, which will be nothing but a benefit for our real estate market. I think to just to add on that, it's like when you see those pipelines or cities within cities emerging, and then you see the infrastructure. Right, the infrastructure is generally going to be the problem, and you know, with the Second Avenue subway line coming in, with, with the, the extension line, of the seven, yards. exactly, that is all super important. Plus. The fact that, you know, I'm sure you've probably seen this in your business, Louise, when you're working, you know, probably, you know, years ago, five years ago, when I was working with somebody, the subway lines were the most important thing. Absolutely. It's got to be two blocks. Absolutely. But now with Uber, Via, all these different uh, opportunities to, to car share or whatever, you know, that's not necessarily that big of a problem anymore. So it's 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 kind of leveled the playing field a little, mm-hmm. not not totally, Much but a little more, bit. for sure. 
I mean, a- absolutely. And as I said earlier, when Tim was still here, you know, I have a client who came back and all of a sudden, you know, wants to start searching and has added the Upper East Side because the, it's it's accessible. Exactly. And it's a neighborhood I would never dream that they would want to live in. But now that they can, because they want to be a couple blocks away and, and Second Avenue, you can be on First Avenue, Third Avenue, yep. Second Avenue, you've got it right there. Yeah. So it's a wonderful thing, you know, and, and what I was going to say later is a ton is poised to happen in New York City this year. Lots of sales launches at developments from Essex Crossings to 111 West 57th Street. New ways to get around, like the 2nd Avenue subway, a citywide ferry system potentially being proposed, and perhaps even the revival of the lapsed 421A, which will bring even more buyers to the table for new condo development. So all of these things we're hoping will add to a robust year in sales and in rentals here in New York City um, for 2017. Moving on, ultra luxury in a tasteful and sleek sort of way, this $15.99 million Upper West Side Brownstone offers five stories of well-tailored cadence, seven if you count the fully finished basement and roof deck, and with an equally rich history. This Renaissance Revival townhouse was built in 1894 by Gilbert A. Schellinger, who is responsible for a large number of homes throughout the city. Not that the place is lacking in modern conveniences. All seven level, all seven levels are served by a commercial-grade elevator, a savant smart home system controls everything from the television to the heat, and the house has radiant floor heating throughout. There's even a snow melt system underneath the paved garden and front stoop. My goodness. The roof deck uh, overlooks Central Park Reservoir, and there are also three fireplaces. Now, Louise, you are a townhouse uh, uh, success story on the Upper West Side. You know, today in 2017, in January 2017, $15.99 million for this property. Are we off the charts? On target, what are the thoughts? You know, the that's thought? an 8,000 square foot townhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, listen, for a decade, I have been talking about my opinion uh, around the townhouse market, the one to three family market is so undervalued, particularly with the condominium boom that we've experienced in the last decade. Mm -hmm. So when we had the financial crisis, you saw small construction guys, small developers who couldn't get the big deals, couldn't do the big deals, but they had to keep their teams working. So we have had a massive amount of individuals who have purchased from Harlem to Hudson, uh, um, Washington Heights, all the way down to East and West Village, where townhouses were bought and have been rehabbed and made into these beautiful homes. And I don't believe that this uh, that this number is a crazy number. Maybe they're going to have to, they paid, you know, I don't know, seven and change. Yes. And they put, I'm sure, several million dollars into it. And that's what equity will do well for them. So I don't I- see that. I mean, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2014, I sold one uh, on the Upper West Side for $17 million. And I thought, you know, we were asking 19 change for it. And, of course, we settled, you know, on 17. But I thought, wow, at that time, that was, I thought, aggressive. The house was completely done. It was almost 10,000 square feet. It was beautiful. But, you know, my question is, who who then is buying uh, who is buying these these homes? Because you know there aren't that many buyers out there in these price points. Now there was a very high level Goldman Sachs guy who bought my townhouse listing, but I mean, who's buying these homes? Well, I, I don't think that all of these are fifteen point nine million dollars. Right. I mean, uh, you have individuals. I have a townhouse that's you know on the park block. That interestingly enough, it's a three family home with income of eighty two 
$100 a month. Mm-hmm. So I had buyers, and it was eight eight and change, um, $8.8 million. And I, and it's 6,000 square feet. For, and so I had individuals that couldn't find an apartment that was 3,000 square feet for $6 million, but they were really interested at the possibility of buying and having income. So stretching them, I think that there is a user, uh, all of these rehabbed homes that were, victim to the financial crisis and individuals taking advantage and flipping them are really users. I don't find them to be investors. Correct. I also find that people are not afraid to not have a doorman, that the vertical living gives them the space and modern technology is amazing what individuals can do. All right, we have to go to break, but I want to pick up on that point when we come back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Real estate isn't just a career for me. It is my passion. And nothing drives my passion more than my clients. One of my clients who's based overseas has bought several apartments with me sight unseen. At the closing table, he turned to my attorney and he said, No one is more intellectual than Matthew. He has my best interests in mind and allows me to spend millions of dollars on real estate in New York a year. I trust him like I would a member of my family, and there is nothing more special or unique than that. I'm Matthew Cohn with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Property and Niall Lundgren from Compass. I just wanted to complete our uh, townhouse thought here before we go on to the next topic. So, um, Louise everybody is threatened by not having a doorman and some people like the anonymity of living in uh living in their own home in you know smack in the middle of new york city any particular more popular than others for townhouses right now yes they they exist in all neighborhoods uptown east west downtown whatever but any particular neighborhoods right now where the townhouse market is on fire yeah i i'll just want to say I think nothing has been on fire for the last nine months. But interestingly enough, um, you know, the townhouse market makes up 1% of our market. Yeah. 10,800 homes that are one to three family. And I was taking a look at the first six months of 2016 report because our 17 had, the, you know, there were a, a 
1% of townhouses traded about 136 and um, in the first six months. <clears throat> and most of those were in Manhattan Valley. Yes. They were in Harlem. Yes. So individuals, what's happened in that market mm-hmm. where you can still buy a townhouse from H, sometimes from the housing you know, uh, SROs that have been condemned or um, have gotten certificates. Still so many of those. $400 a foot, mm. $700 a foot, mm-hmm. and then you can put your $1,000 a foot into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where I have a migration of my Upper West Side buyers that are not afraid to look up to 130th and 5th. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something we should keep our eyes on. I think West Village and the Gold Coast between 5th and 6th is always, always an anchor that people seek. Yeah, and there are there are a couple of, I think, Billy Bush just finally sold his uh, townhouse on 22nd Street. It was asking, uh, what was that asking, 20, no, what was that asking, $9 million or something like that? And I, they might have traded because it was, a, it was a shell, actually, and it might have traded in the high eights. I show that house multiple times. And very threatening because it was nothing in it but dirt. But he finally sold it, and it just—I think the transaction just closed around the holiday. So, the the real estate market um, coming back, hopefully. Anyway, moving on. A real estate article of faith once had it that uh, mid to late February, which was the start of the so-called spring season, was the best time to list a property. This allowed breathing room for a buyer to get a mortgage and in a case of a co-op purchase, time to assemble the board package and meet the board and to close the deal before the end of the school year and the start of the summer exodus. September was another good option as long as sellers took care to wait until after Labor Day. But now, because of digital marketing and the masses of online information available to consumers all the rules about timing, I believe, are gone. I say there is no time like the present. So if someone comes to you and says, I want to list my property, is this a good time versus is that a good time? And my answer is you're ready to go. You're ready to go. I, I, I think that I, I personally feel that there are some strategic. It, it is an opportunity to be strategic. So um, I felt in September after the lagging of, of activity because the market was resetting and actually maybe it was more plateauing and now it's resetting, but it's happening in a very efficient manner. I told a number of my clients, do not list your apartment before the end of the year. Let's get through the election. Let's get through in January. This year particularly, I agree. And I didn't even want to list things until the end of January because I wanted to look at what optimism, mm-hmm. what, did we have confidence? So I put four deals together last week. And the amount of appointment requests that I've gotten from my bird's eye view of 20 listings is a message for me to communicate and reach to my owners. So I will be bringing on a ton of listings. And I'm not going to be alone. I think there's going to be opportunity, pent up desire for people to close deals. And we're going to have the opportunistic you know, patient sellers to come on the market thoughtfully and priced properly, and they will benefit from that. I, I agree, but I think 2016 was also a very unique year because I, I had similar situations where I was waiting or wanted to have them wait until the beginning of the year. And, you know, if all things go well, I have a bunch of listings coming on in, in the January uh, timeframe into February, but 
just generally speaking, you know, the the summer market used to be very quiet. Now, all of a sudden, the past couple of years, it seems to be just purring right along. I mean, we've done several deals this past summer and the summer before, if I could remember, you know, around the Jewish holidays in September or October, whenever they fall. Uh, and that's been later in the past couple of years. That's not necessarily a good time to purchase uh, to list in this town. But overall, I think, you know, timing is timing. But certainly if you're priced right. Uh, and certainly if we get more confidence in the market, which I think is happening, I think any time this year to list should be okay. I, I, I track that very closely, my team. I average probably seven transactions a month, maybe more. Um, and December, since the financial crisis in 2009 and 10, as the market recovered in 2010 and people really kind of knew if they had a job or they needed to sell whatever that pressure cooker was. Um, I did the week of Christmas between the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas before New Year's. I, on an average, for four years in a row, did five to seven transactions in those two weeks. Absolutely. Which was unusual. People spent the time September, October, November, figuring out what their bonuses were, Um understanding the market and they were they wanted to lock and load and be in their in contract some negotiated for a june closing some negotiated for a quick closing depending if they were selling mm-hmm. i had a client who was uh she, she's from hong kong she and i and i listed her apartment and you know we were debating whether to put it on after labor day or before labor day and it was a unique conversation my general thought was let's wait you know to put it on after that's when a lot of the new inventory comes on having a couple extra days on the market might not be the best thing and you know i listened to her and i and i asked her what her thoughts were and she said when i came to new york and bought i came on holiday and that she's like, let's not, you know, rule out the 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 big, you know, international demographic who's going to be coming to the city, whether it's during the holidays in December or whether it's, you know, during Labor Great Day. Point. I think no matter what, there's going to always be a market. You know, I have a, a couple listings, and two days after Christmas, I was, you know, jam packed with with appointments. I really wouldn't have have thought that to be the case but you know it certainly was and so did you, you know, put a deal together is what i want to I, know not yet not, not yet, yet. <laughs> <laughs> working on it yeah working on it still but i i this was the first christmas the christmas of that just passed 16 that i didn't do a deal over the christmas holiday every year since i'm in the business and and people used to say to me but it's holiday how is that possible you and i'm like well and as you just said Niall, i mean people some people come here on holiday because it's holiday time and it's when their vacation is scheduled and they come here to buy apartments. Yeah. They have time to look and, and, and they go and shopping. You know, they're going to buy jewelry. They're going to buy apartments. It's just like Memorial Day and 4th of July. There's always a big controversy about, well, I don't know. It's a long weekend. Martin Luther King weekend this weekend. Yep. You know, open houses from what I heard were pretty okay. You know, not everybody goes away and some people are in town to shop and to do just that. So we call know, those stay vac- staycations. Staycations. Exactly. So, you know, again, if if you are priced right and if you are, you know, working with sellers who are smart and buyers who are really, you know, serious about buying, I think there's no way uh, that 
timing or time on market makes a difference. I think any time is a good time, and we just go from there. Uh, I wanted to talk quickly. We've got a couple of minutes left. When New Yorkers seek to be social, whether it's at a high-end cocktail bar or a CD dive, they often don't have to look too far to find their place to, to hang out in New York City. But for those who live right above a watering hole, such as such proximity can be a blessing or a curse. Some people complain about the noise that retail at the base of their buildings create. We've got one minute left. Quickly, what do your buyers sometimes say when you bring them to buildings where there is a bar, there is a grocery store, where there is a restaurant, or there is just some kind of CVS or whatever? Does that deter their thinking, or does it matter? Does it matter at all? I would say depending on the floor. I think, and that, I think it depends it, on the client. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the deals that I did in the East Village and all my development projects there, they were young kids. Um, they have, you know, today they have one to two children, but when they bought, they were single and have since then gotten married. And um, and they loved having the pulse of being able to run, go across the street to prune and have dinner Um I do think that you have situations, I mean, Related had some challenges around SoulCycle being in some of their buildings where they had complaints. So, you know, there is technology to manage that, but you have to have a working relationship between your lease. All right, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. That's our show for this week. Thanks to my panel, as always. Uh, Louise Nile and to Tim Crowley from CORE. You can catch the show anytime on podcasts or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 